On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like white coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come, so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. This is the word of the Lord. We're in a series on the, through the book of Exodus. We're, we're considering the gospel according to Moses. And uh, last week, uh, Mark reminded us that God saved his people, but that isn't the end of it. Uh, if you know Exodus, uh, it's, it's a story in which God rescues his people out of slavery, um, but that is not the end of it. God leads his people out of bondage to Pharaoh, um, but he doesn't want just them to be out of the grips of Pharaoh's hands. He wants, them, he wants to lead them to be free, to live as free people. Uh, they are saved uh, by God, and they are being saved. Uh, and we, if you're a Christian here today, you're, you're in a similar position. Uh, faith in Jesus means that you are declared free. You are a son, you are a daughter of God. And you are currently being saved. Uh, you have to learn how to live as a free person. Uh, I actually just this past a couple days ago, I met uh, somebody I hadn't seen in a very long time, and he uh, is, this, this illustration of this concept of being being saved at once, but then learning what it means to be to be saved. Um, he uh, he was 43, 43 years old when he got married. Uh, and he married in, in, and immediately had uh, his, his wife brought with him uh, two children from a previous relationship. Uh, so at 43 years old, he became a husband and a father of, I believe it was a two and a four-year-old, uh, instantly. Uh, now, it's, it's, a, it's an illustration of the fact that uh, he Im- immediately became a husband and a father. Um, but you know, and in talking to him, it, it's going to take a little while for that adjustment period. To, uh, to figure out what that means, right? Uh, he, he's got a lot to learn, <laughs> right? Uh, it's, quite a, it's quite a transformation of life. And so he immediately was bestowed, I'm a father, I'm a husband now, but now, uh, now the work begins. Now I've got to figure out what this looks like. 
Uh, it's a beautiful piece of redemption, but he's, he's got to learn to walk in it now. Uh, and, and you may, by the way, I mean, you, you may have just noticed that about the church. There's a, there's a bunch of people in here who have declared, who are ta- talking about how God has saved them and rescued them. They are free in Christ. And, and you may have noticed that that does not mean that Christians have it all together. Uh, we have not yet figured out how to walk into that freedom uh, in every aspect of our lives. Amen, right? I mean, (laughs) we have not figured it out. The church is kind of a mess. Uh, So we're learning. We're we're in the process of being saved. So when the children of Israel faced hunger in the desert, um, they they don't, much to our surprise, stop immediately and pray and wait on the Lord. Uh, Instead, they, they return to their old scripts. Their formal ways of thinking begin to emerge. And you heard it in verse 3. Um, this is what the Israelites say when they're faced with hunger in the desert. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, talking to Moses and Aaron, have brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They have not yet understood. Freedom has not yet taken hold. They remain captive inwardly. Um, so much so, they're so captive within themselves uh, that the thought of returning to slavery under Pharaoh actually brings them comfort. They're like, hey, that was pretty great. <laughs> that's, that's how still captive they are in their hearts. If only we had died in Egypt, we, things would be better, is what they say. Um, so the question is, how can we learn to be free? How can they learn to be free? How can, how can we unhook ourselves from the yoke of, of slavery? How do the Israelites do it? How do we do it as those who have left a life of sin and death into the life of freedom? How do we do that? How do we become free? I'll, I'll put it the question another way. Uh, how do we learn to no longer depend upon our former way of life, but become the kind of people who depend upon God for all things? Uh, and that's, that's an important question to ask because the difference between a slave, a person who in, in, in a spiritual, is in spiritual bondage and a person who is free in the scripture is not primarily about freedom of choice. The way that scripture talks about freedom is a growing dependence upon God. You become free as you become dependent upon him. And slavery, then, is depending on anything else but God. Now, you've got to mark that because that's decidedly different from what the cultural narrative is. Freedom is not about freedom of choice, according to the scriptures. Freedom comes through dependence upon the living God. Slavery, bondage, comes by being dependent upon anything but God. So the free person depends upon God for life in the same way that a tree is rooted by a stream depending upon that stream for water. That's what freedom is. So a person who is free, let me just finish by giving you a picture of it. A person then who is living in freedom, according to the scripture, is a person who no longer needs the systems of this world to affirm you. You don't need your job to affirm you. You don't need other people's opinion to affirm you. You don't need to walk in the way the world tells you to walk to affirm you. A person who's free possesses an identity that's been freely given to you. You don't have to strive your whole life to earn it or to create it for yourself. A person who's free can face daily life with less and less fear and anxiety 
because you've learned to depend upon God. You become free as you depend upon him. So, so how do we learn this freedom, this dependence upon God, and how does it happen for Israel? How does it happen for us? Real quick, three things. We're just going to look at where it happens. Where do we learn that, that dependence, that freedom? Uh, one obstacle we face, and then, and then how God provides. So wh- where, it is, where do we learn to be free? Um, God, God leads the people out of Egypt, and, and if you know the story, he's leading them to a place, he says, is flowing with milk and honey. Uh, it's the promised land. But strangely, you know the story, right? He does not just immediately take them on the straightest line. If you follow a map of where the Israelites went, they did not go directly to the promised land. They take this long, circuitous route through the wilderness. Um, over the course, not just over a year, over the course of 40 years. 40 years. Um, God says to you, I'm going to get you there. You just got to wait 40 years. Uh, and he takes them. So, you know, he's, it's, it's, it's Lincoln Drive when Old York Road would do fine, right? It's, it's the long way around into the snarling traffic and the, the whatever may come in, in the Lincoln Drive, Kelly Drive, and you're caught in the circle around, outside museum, the museum. It's just a disaster, um, he takes them that way. And, and why does he do that? So reflecting back, uh, Deuteronomy 8, this is what Moses tells the people. He's looking back on the 40 years. Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy 8, picking up in verse 2. He says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So God knows that just changing the Israelites' geographic location, I'm going to take you out of Egypt and put you here, uh, it, it won't transform them from slavery to freedom. Yes, so I, I just want to be careful. Yes, it is beautiful and glorious. They are declared free. They are no longer under the yoke of slavery. Hallelujah. You are set free today, brothers and sisters. You're declared free because if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And in no way do we want to diminish that or say, oh, but, but it's not enough. No, but but the, why, why we're focusing on this is that you then need to learn to live in it and walk in it. What does day to day now mean for you? And, and so God knows just taking them out of Egypt is not enough. He wants to, them to learn to live as free people in dependence upon him. And the place where they learn, the place where God teaches us, is in hardship. That's what Moses is saying. In the desert of life is the place where God teaches us dependence upon himself. And therefore, it's the place that we can be transformed into free people. And, and experientially, so uh, uh, you know this to be true. Uh, so if you just think about who, the, the wisest person in your life, the person in your life who would say, that person has the most character. Um, how do they arrive at that character? How do they arrive at that wisdom? Uh, they arrive at it by passing through many trials. Right? I, I don't know a person of, of high character and wisdom who has yet to really go through anything in their life. In fact, the people who haven't really suffered yet um, or who have ran from it their whole lives or are just young and, hey, that's all right. You just haven't gone through it yet. Um, you're not the person I'm going to go to for wisdom. I'm sorry to say. And, and, and we all agree that that makes sense, right? Because experientially we know character, wisdom comes through hardship and trial. 
Uh, Paul, Paul affirms this in Romans 5. He says, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So where do we learn to leave behind the patterns and systems of slavery? Where do we learn the freedom of dependence upon God in the deserts of life? When our stomachs are hungry, this is where God proves himself to be sufficient. Um, so what I, what I actually hope now, and if you're like me, you're, hopefully now you're experiencing a little bit more sympathy for the Israelites um, because it's easy to be incredulous when we read how they responded to their hunger. Uh, but, but when I consider my own response to deserts in my life, um, to, the, to the manifold ways I resist and run from and avoid and attempt to dull hardships that I face, um, then I begin to understand why the Israelites reacted the way that they did. And, and I, would just, I would just press you on it. It's, it's a critical point of your life. How you deal with hardships and trials will shape the kind of person you become. Uh, one writer put it this way, if we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. If you don't deal with your pain and hardship in your life by leaning on and depending upon God, that pain will then be vomited all over the people around you. And I'm sorry, that's a really gross metaphor. Um, but, but, but it's apt. I think it's right. You will transmit your pain onto everybody else in your life. And some of you have experienced receiving that from people in your life. So the deserts are the places where God teaches us the freedom of dependence upon him. Um, and if that's true, then, then that's why I want to just look at the obstacle that can keep us from, from learning that in the deserts. The one obstacle we see in this passage, there are many, there are many, but the one in this passage um, that the Israelites uh, have to tangle with is there, did you notice, what, what do they do? How does it describe? They, they, they grumble and complain. Uh, one translation has it, they murmur. They're murmuring against Moses and Aaron and against God. Um, verse two has it, right? In the desert, the whole community, if you can imagine a whole community, all of us together grumbling together about something, uh, they grumble against Moses and Aaron. Uh, and, and again, if you're familiar with the Old Testament story, if you're familiar with, with the story of Israel, grumbling and complaining is a bit of a theme. Uh, in these three chapters that are around this passage, it, they grumble and complain eight times. They are grumblers, they are complainers. They murmur against God. And why are they grumbling? Well, they're hungry and they're wandering in a strange land and they don't know where their next meal is gonna come from. They grumble against God and they're grumbling really. So really what they're grumbling is, is I don't know what's coming next. I don't know where my next meal is coming from. Grumbling then for them is an expression of unbelief. They don't believe that God is going to provide for them. Uh, maybe one way to get to grumbling a little bit is, is to talk about how it's different from, from lament. So I can hear some of you saying, perhaps, um, so what you're saying is that I'm supposed to go through hardships in life and bite my tongue and just grit and bear it. Um, and the answer is no. <laughs> so so the, the scriptures have, an, have, have 
lead us to lament. Um, and so let's look at what is lament and how is it different from, from grumbling. Um, that'll help us understand what the Israelites are up to. Uh, lament, here's the one way to think about it. To lament in hardship is more of a dualistic expression. So two things are true at the same time when you lament. Uh, God is my provider and this is hard and painful. Both are true at the same time. This is hard and it's more than I can bear, but you are my God and you are my God. Both are true at the same time. Um, Where are you, God, my provider, you say in lament. That's a lament. And the scripture is chock full of lament. Um, It's an expression, actually, of freedom to lament. I can say, God, you're my provider, and I can name before that great provider what I am suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is free lament. And that's what the scripture invites you to in your hardship. But... But, but grumbling is different. So if lament is dualistic, uh, grumbling is binary. Grumbling as an either-or situation. You, you're saying, uh, if I suffer, God is not dependable. God is either my provider or I suffer. But both can't be true at the same time. Either I have what I need right now or God is unreliable. It's, 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 a, it's the grammar of unbelief. It's the language of slavery. When we grumble, we, we don't know that we have a God who will provide for us. Grumbling is kind of like, it's like the musical instrument of unbelief at the edge of the desert. And when that becomes the dominant sound in our heart, if that becomes the dominant sound in our community, it drowns out the sweet music of dependence and lament to our living God. Uh, put it another way, grumbling continues the script of slavery. So I just ask you, I'll just invite you to think about your own heart and your own life. Where is grumbling and complaining in your life? Uh, can you locate it? I'll confess this was really difficult. I think I left grumbling and complaining in the category of what children do. Uh, I'm not saying anything in particular about my children. I think this is all children. Uh, and I, and as, a, as, a, as an adult believer, I, did not, I have not tangled much with do I grumble and complain? Children will grumble about when dinner is. Uh, What do adults grumble and complain about? (laughs) Maybe you're grumbling about what's for dinner. I don't know. Um, I'll I'll just give you a couple couple invitations to see in your own uh, own life where grumbling and complaining is. Um, And you may not need to look far. Uh, There there may be a person that you find in your life that you're complaining and grumbling about all the time. Uh, they They are a hardship. Being with that person Loving them, sharing life with them is a desert. It's, it's a desert God's calling you to. It's a place where God wants you to show you, show you how to be free as you depend upon him in loving that person. Uh, your grumbling and complaining may surround a particular place. It may be the place of work that you're, that you're going to. It may be um, the school that you're going to. And by the way, I've just been convicted of this. Um, uh, we should not, let, let's not normalize grumbling and complaining about school for our teenagers. Uh, we sort of all have this attitude of like, yes, yeah, school stinks, right? And we all sort of agree upon it. And there's hard things about school, but it's also a place where God will provides for our teenagers, right? It's a place where God meets them and teaches them to depend upon him. Um, so maybe grumbling complaining is about a place. Maybe it's your place of work. Maybe it's about school. Um, grumbling complaining can also be a kind of silent murmuring. Um, it doesn't need to be audible. 
Uh, I real this is me. This is where I realized I am. Um, I am. It's not that I grumble a lot. I'm just ready to grumble at any occasion. I don't know if you know the difference. It, it's sort of like it's more like an absence of thanksgiving. Like I'm never giving thanks. So instead of giving thanks, I'm just ready to complain. And I'm ready to join people in complaining and grumbling against God. Uh, one other possible uh, way in which grumbling and complaining might emerge in your life. Uh, where do you find yourself in the habit of indulging your flesh? Where are you prone to give in to and overindulge in food or sexual temptation or alcohol or media consumption you know, it's that, that end of day, I need to numb the day and the, and the prospect of another day that, that, that I'm facing. Uh, th- these might not strike us immediately as grumbling, complaining, but, but these indulgences are actually can be a form of grumbling over a desert that God is leading you to. My, I'm in the midst of a hard season. You stand at the edge of the desert and you're returning back to eat in the house of Pharaoh. You're you're trying to provide for yourself by indulging your flesh. And so you grumble against God who's leading you into a desert. These these are obstacles, brothers and sisters, to to growing in freedom in the desert God leads us in. Uh, and, And you won't enter into the desert. You won't grow in dependence upon God until you do business with the grumbling in your heart. And the grumbling that basically at a bottom line says, God won't provide for what I need. Uh, the invitation of Scripture uh, and the warning of Scripture for you is today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. God is saying to you, I will provide. I will provide for you. And, and listen, congregation, we, we know the sufferings that are taking place in, the, in our community right now. So we don't say this lightly. We don't say this sort of, you know, just, just trust in Jesus kind of, kind of as a pat answer. It, it's an invitation that, that is real and true to say as a community, let, let's lay aside our grumbling complaining. And in the midst of the deserts that you face and that we face together, can we trust that God will provide? Can we leave the house of Pharaoh? So, so we've moved, we've, we've done where it happens in the desert uh, an obstacle is our grumbling, complaining. Um, how do you live free? Um, how do you live free? Well, it's, it's pretty simple, actually, uh, in, in terms of what, what the scripture gives us. It's not simple to, to bring into our lives, but, but clear, I should say. Uh, what does God do in the face of their mumbling and their grumbling and their murmuring against him? He provides. He provides. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. So you, God provides before Israel gets its act together. He promises bread for he, from heaven. He, he provides bread called manna, um, and he provides quail for the people. And, and in a place where there should be no food uh, in, in the desert, away from the Nile, away from the established uh, economic system of Egypt, uh, away from all of that, and in the face of our grumbling, God gives Israel just what they need. He gives them bread from heaven. And then the second thing he does is he, he, he not only gives them bread and quail, um, but you notice that he does not just 
give food for their stomachs. Uh, he, doesn't, it's, it, he, he also provides for them a rhythm and a pattern for life, a, a, a pattern of life for work and rest, uh, um, which is critically important. He says, he says to these former slaves, not only am I going to give you food for your stomach, I'm going to teach you a way to live free, a day of rest for their labor. Six days they gather, on the seventh day they rest. They're, they're just to stay put and they're to receive. Now, why does God do this? What, why, uh, one preacher said, was asking the question, what, if God's doing this miracle, why didn't he just zap the bread into their stomachs? <laughs> what, why all this song and dance about go gather? Go, you know, if you're going to provide bread from heaven, why not just feed their appetite? Why involve them in the process at all? It's, it's kind of a legitimate question. Um, well, well, why is that? Because what, what, who are, what are people? We are not simply stomachs to fill. We are, we are heart, mind, soul, body complexes. You are not just an appetite. You are made in the image of God. And therefore, and therefore, um, therefore you need a way of life. You need a way to live that, that meets you with life in every part of who you are. Um, and for the children of Israel, this means teaching them no longer to be slaves, but by giving them a pattern of life of dependence upon God. Uh, it's a way to remember that they are no longer Pharaoh's, but they're God's possession. So it's a little bit like when you have family meal in your home, and I don't know how you do it in your home, but there's a reason why um, it won't fly in most households for the family to come down, uh, cafeteria style, snap up their food, and run to the different corners of the house. I mean, I know on occasion this happens. You've got to study. You know, you've got to do the thing. I understand that. But there's a reason why a, fa- a meal involves more than just filling our stomachs. It's a reason why we're inviting people to table fellowship because what happens around a table is you become and learn the ways of being a family together. And that, that's what God is inviting his people to do. He says, this is the way you are my people. You work and you rest. And this is the pattern that God, of, of life that God has given us. Um, and so... I just, just do you hear that? That's an invitation for you today. That's in fact why we gather here this morning. The pattern of life that God has given his people is that you begin your week with a day of rest. And on that day, you come together and you worship with the people of God and then you rest from your labors. And that is a way that you learn to be free in dependence upon God. In other words, if, if you find, if you're finding no rest for yourself, if you, if you find that you cannot gather together with God's people and rest from your labors, you're, brothers and sisters, you're living under the yoke of slavery. This world has got you under its yoke and it's convinced you that the way you need to live life is away from community and working all the time. And that's who you are and that's, who your val- that's what your value comes in. And what God is saying to his people is, now here's how you are free. You lay your labors aside you come together and you worship with the body of Christ and you trust that I'm going to provide as you do nothing today. Right? I mean, somebody right now is getting ahead of you in your field because they're not spending time worshiping. And are you going to trust the Lord that he's going to provide for you? Somebody's making money right now that you're not making. Somebody's cleaning their house better than you've been able to clean your house. 
Somebody's knocking off a few more things off their to-do list that you can't do because you're stuck here. But the invitation of God is that's actually freedom. You're sitting here saying, God, you will provide. And that's why you gather. And that's why I would invite you, too, to consider what does Sabbath rest look like for you? Do you have a day in your household where everyone is able, even for a small portion of time, to rest from their labor and grow in your dependence upon God? Can you trust that God will provide for you? Um, so I want to pause here and just for a moment, I know we're coming to the end of our time, um, but uh, can I do something new with you guys? Can we try something new? Um, I'd like to actually just invite you to consider what you've heard from the word. And, um, and I'm just going to give a minute or two if you'd like to share with the community what you're hearing. Um, I just want to invite that. And if no one does, that's fine too. Um, I was hoping to be a little bit earlier to do this, but I still want to try it. I'm still going to do it. Is that all right? Um, so yeah, it's just the Lord's laid this on my heart. Hey, let's, let's have times where we hear what the Spirit is doing in the moment through his word. So if you could put those two questions up, uh, Adriel. Here's, here's two questions um, to consider. Yep, there we go. Where is, some, where, where is there some conflict for you in this passage? What is the Spirit disrupting? And where is there some clarity for you in this passage? Where is the Spirit confirming? So I'll ask you to sit, think about it for a moment. Um, and then just do this if you share. Just try to keep it to a minute um, so that if there's somebody else who wants to share. Uh, and if no one does, it's fine too. But just think upon this. And if you have something, just, just raise your hand. Yeah, Bonnie. Thanks, Bon. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Rick. It strikes me that it, no one's saying it's easier, but it has a certain character to it, right? Yeah. yeah thanks, for, thanks for sharing that, Rick. Uh, Matt, and then, yeah, Jerry, go ahead, Matt.
Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Amy. Thank you all for sharing. Um, and and I think it, as I think about the different the different strands you guys are, are raising, the posture, where am I facing? What am I looking at? Um, how do I how do I remain <laughs> fresh in my face? How does it how to remain alive to me? Um, how do I find rest, um, Matt? I just I, I think that the place to end um, is just is just a reminder that. Um, of, of who Jesus Christ is. I mean, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And so, so just as a way of ending, remember, remember the gospel invitation. Um, I, you know, the spirit needs to meet each of you as you spoke, um, that, that Jesus entered the depths of our evil beyond our reach, beyond what we could reach. Uh, Jesus faced every desert that you face. Uh, he depended on God through the temptation uh, of the devil through the sufferings of this life, he, he depended upon God, even suffering under the hands of Pontius Pilate. Um, he was crucified. He descended into hell for our, on our behalf um, so that he might unwind this spell of evil that is in our hearts um, so that he could teach us to face him and, and turn from Egypt uh, today, now, and for the week ahead. Uh, he died and rose again. He was victorious over sin and death. Um, and so the offer is, is life with him. He offers himself to us to feed upon him this morning. Um, as you worship, as you call him good this morning, you are feeding on the bread of life. You are teaching yourself to live in freedom by God's grace. Um, so, th- so the invitation is, will you depend upon him, brothers and sisters, this week? And you will say, yes, Lord, I want to, but help my unbelief. Will you depend upon him to provide for everything you need this week? Will you turn from, from the, the pods in the pig trough and will you, will you depend upon him for everything that you need? Um, here's, a, here's a prayer for you this week um, and, and I'll invite the worship team to come forward. The, the, the simple prayer of Psalm, Psalm 23. Can you say this week, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. I need no other thing but the Lord. Uh, let me let me pray and, and then we'll we'll sing. Lord, we um, 
We, we, you, you say you are the bread of life, and, and when we come to you, we, we will never be hungry again. Um, and yet, Lord, we confess our weakness. Um, we confess that we, we struggle to find rest. Even though we know what's true, we just struggle to, to be grateful for the, for the goodness of what you've laid before us. Um, we want to turn back to Egypt, Lord. Um, we pray, help us, teach us, Lord, to walk through these deserts of life, depending upon you for all things. Um, you have given us life in your son. So Lord, help us, we pray. And Lord, may we be a community where the chorus of this community is not one of grumbling, complaining, but of thanksgiving, of lament, of those who depend upon you for everything. May we be a community that does that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's stand together and sing.